Thank you, Lord, for our fathers. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I just, I want to declare some things over our fathers. So just stay right there. And I'm going to put some declarations on the screen. And as I read these over our fathers, would you just, would you just uh, agree with me for these declarations over our fathers? Do we have those, Tony, those declarations? So we declare over our fathers that you are not your human father. You are free to be yourself, strong, healthy, whole, and unique masterpieces from the creator of the universe. You are a man of power and love. By generational curses, the blood of Jesus has erased and severed any generational curse over your life. You are freed to be who you are called to be. Your life will be marked by purity and righteousness. You are free to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. You are not your failures or shortcomings. You are true sons. You are royalty and have been apportioned grace from God to live and love the way God has called you to. You carry the Father's heart inside of you. You have a channel of communication between Father God that guides your heart and your actions. You speak with strength, kindness, and authority. You have what it takes. Partnering with the Holy Spirit, you have what it takes to father, lead, serve, and love the way Jesus calls you to. You are vital influential people in our lives that we receive from we need your influence and voice in our lives you are a man of love you were created in love by love and for love you have been given what you need in christ to cultivate intimacy and love with others around you if you believe those words tonight will you just say amen amen, amen. let's celebrate our fathers one more time Man, well, my name's Justin, and I am excited to share a word that the Lord's been speaking to me these last few weeks. I'm excited to bring it. It's, it's not a typical Father's Day message, so, but it's very much a Father's Day message. And so I feel like the Father wants to father us tonight. I cry a lot when I speak. It's normal. It's okay if you're new around here. I feel like the Father wants to father us tonight. Is that okay with you? So, Lord, we just say, Father us through your word tonight. We come to you as sons and daughters, and we invite you to father us. Thank you for this beautiful family you're building at River House. And we just ask you, Jesus, to raise us up to be the people we're called to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I don't normally do this when I preach, but uh, I normally like to start right away with scripture and dive into that piece. But I feel like I'm, I got to take a slight detour tonight. So if you can just work with me, give me about five minutes and then we'll get to the meat of the message tonight. Is that okay? And by the way, it's a little bit lighter of a crowd tonight. I'm just going to preach like there's a thousand people in the room. So it's okay. If you want to yelp and say, hey, or, or be quiet, whatever, I'm preaching the same regardless of what you do. 
Just saying. Just getting that out there right, right away. So here we go. Preachers got to preach is what AJ says. You know, one of the things I love is happening here at Riverhouse is, is, is we're like this lump of clay that Jesus is still forming. It's like we're becoming something. We're becoming a wineskin to hold and house his glory. We're, over this last year, we've seen a house of prayer, a very powerful prayer movement start to happen here. How many of you have been in the last year to one of our prayer sets? Okay, yeah, about half the room. We're also seeing a, a house church model rise up, which house church models don't do so well in the United States. But Jesus is forming us. He's shaping us into what he wants his church to look like. Amen? And how many of you know, notice, if you've come from other churches, that we spend a fair amount of our time worshiping the Lord? Yeah. And, and you know what? That's beautiful because it's like, what did he say? He said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So we spend a lot of time around here loving the Lord. And I love that. It's all good. It's all good. And one of the things I, I feel like this slight detour is the Father wants to remind us of like, of like what the church is. What the church is. The church is not a building. It's not a campus. It's not an organization. It's not a meeting. It's not a tradition. The church is a living, breathing organism. It's his physical body in the earth. You and I, we are the church. Church isn't something we do. It's something we are. It's a, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of living. It's a way of being the church. This is the church. And, and the reason why this is so important for us is because, don't get me wrong, we need organization. <laughs> we need buildings. We need structures. We need systems. We need those things, but those aren't the essence of who we are. We're a bride being prepared for a groom. For a groom to come and sweep us away at the end of the age in a beautiful marriage supper with the lamb. Guys, that's who we are. Let's don't mistake the form, the external things that we see with who we are. We are his bride. And I love it. I love it. I love it that we sing to the Lord and we worship him and we give him our first love. And also, I also love it when I see the church love the church. Because you know what? I can say I love my wife till the cows come home. But the proof is in the pudding. We can, we can sing all we want, but if we don't love his bride, it doesn't mean much. I can say all the right things to my wife. I can buy her the flowers. I can do all the words, but if I'm a jerk to her, 
I'm not really loving her. And Jesus, the Father, wants to remind us the church is his beautiful bride. His beautiful bride. He's excited to be with his church. You guys okay with that? The really good news <laughs> is in Mark, Matthew 16, Jesus says the church is his and he's the builder of it. That ought to be a really big sigh of relief. Because a lot of people try to build the church and they fail. Church is closing all the time. But when Jesus is leading the church, the church thrives. I'm thankful to be a part of a family that lets Jesus build his church. Let's let him build the church. Let's, let it, let's continue to be that lump of clay that he's still forming and shaping us to be. Amen? Amen. Okay. Um, when we look at the church through scripture, we see these two places. We see the temple and we see the houses. Acts 2.42, let's read that scripture real quick. It says this, they, meaning the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow, this is the birth of the church. And what we see right away is these two contexts, the temple courts, which is kind of like what we're doing tonight. We're all in a big room together, praising God and being instructed in the word. Amen? That was kind of a weak amen. Okay, just thought I just, I'm preaching to a thousand here, so. And the second thing we see is they met house to house. House to house and in the temple courts. Acts 5.42 says this. Let's turn there real quick. I think it's on the screen as well. It says this. That day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Wow, I love that. There it is, the church, two contexts for the church. The houses, the living rooms, the small intimate settings, and also the temple courts, the big gathering places where people like us could come and be the church together. Amen? So I feel like the Lord's been talking to me about this, is to become who we're called to become, we have to embrace both of those spaces. We have to embrace the large temple gatherings like what we're doing right now. And we also have to embrace the small, intimate settings, the living rooms, like churches have done for thousands of years. It's not an either or. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Because there's different stuff happening in each one of those contexts. And we're not going to be formed in shaped into the people that God's called us to be if, we, if we're lopsided on one or the other. God has both for us. Do you know it's estimated there's 50 million Christians in house churches in China alone? 
50 million Christians, part of house churches. The, the underground church in China is thriving. It's thriving because what happens in those environments is powerful. It's powerful. Communities and people finding their people and people discovering their gifts and their callings and people being activated by the Holy Spirit. That's what happens in living rooms. It always has. And so we need both. I call it circles and rows. You're sitting in which one tonight? Yeah, rows. And rows are good. There's nothing wrong with rows. Circles do some really important stuff in us. I just mentioned some of them. They build us. They activate us. They activate what's inside of us. So important. Circles. It makes a lot of sense when we read the epistles, we see Paul's writings. For example, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a tongue, an interpretation. He's obviously not talking about a church full of five or 600 people. That would be insane. He's talking about 25 believers in a living room saying, when, when the Holy Spirit activates you, Hey, this is, this is the way of love. This is the way in which you want to operate so that you're not, you're making room for everyone's gifts to show up. This is beautiful. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been part of a circle environment, a discipleship group, a prayer group, a house church, a revival group, I want to implore you, God's shaping us and he's doing some beautiful things in us but we've got to give ourselves to it. We've got to give ourselves to it. And it's not that there's anything wrong with rows. Jesus himself used rows. He preached to 5,000 people. And he said, hey, disciples, will you organize those guys in groups? Like, he's a big believer in rows. The problem with the church in America is we've fallen in love with rows. Fallen in love with rows. We have, and right, I understand. There's lights, and there's, ooh, and this, whoa, and oh, my gosh. That was amazing. Did you hear that? Did you see that? But rows themselves are not enough for us to become the people that God's shaping us to become. We've got to give ourselves to circles and rows. Why have we fallen in love with rows? That's a really great question. I'm glad you asked. Maybe rows are easier. Maybe they're more convenient. Maybe they're a little more comfortable. Maybe we don't have to invest ourselves. Maybe we don't have to engage ourselves. Maybe we don't have to trust people. The challenge with circles that we all have is our first circles were our families. And so, if our families did a good job with those circles, we probably came out of that experience trusting other people. But if our families struggled in those areas, which lots of families do, we probably find ourselves with barriers to putting ourselves in circles. And I just want to say this. There's something waiting for you. 
There's something waiting for you in circles. There's an impartation for you. There's something that's going to come alive in you when you give yourself to circle environments because we're wounded in community, but we're also healed in community. And it's very possible we might be avoiding the actual place of healing that we're looking for. It's very possible that the stuff that needs to be worked out in me so that I can be all that I am for Jesus actually is going to happen in an environment that I've been avoiding. I just want to encourage your heart. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with your heart. Bring yourself into some circles. See what happens. If you need help, I'll help you. You got a lot of amazing people in this room that will help you. Amen? You know, I heard a story um, back in January. I was in Dallas, and I met with a pastor from Gateway Church, and he told me this story, and it really blessed me. But he said this. They were starting a church plant out of Gateway and a few years back. And they selected this high school. And this high school was in a lower economic, socioeconomic area. And um, they started this church plant in this building, this, where this high school met, giant high school. And they started hosting services and the presence of the Lord filled this room. And they started praying these prayers. God, we pray that the presence of the Lord would linger throughout the week in this building. That it would invade the hallways and the classrooms all throughout this school. And something amazing happened. At the end of the year, the school board's doing their post-year review and they're measuring all these different metrics. And I don't want to embarrass myself by even suggesting I know what those metrics are, so I won't say it. But they're comparing year-to-year to year to year metrics, and they saw this, this school, which had lower GPA scores, test scores, all these different things. By the end of the year, a lot of their metrics were much higher. Some of them went from worst to best in the district. And they're standing there. This is the committee that's meeting and reviewing, and they said, you know, we, we don't understand what's happened to this school. But somebody spoke up and said, the only thing I can think of is this church started meeting in our building last year. How cool is that? How powerful is the presence of God? And here's the question I have. What would the church in America be like if we would have been doing church in our homes for the last 200 years? How would our homes be different? How would our neighborhoods be different? How would our family cultures be different? Why did we remove church from the home? We're in a mess in our world. The church needs to go back home. We're lopsided, guys. We're lopsided in the West. It's not that rows aren't good. They're great. They're amazing. But what if God's calling us to be the church that balances it out again? 
and says, we will host the presence of God in our homes. We will watch what it does to our own marriages and families. We will watch the presence of the Lord and prayer transform our neighborhoods. We will become the hope of the earth again. Instead of trying to draw everyone into our temple courts, what if we're supposed to be pushing it out to where they are? This has always been the ecosystem of the church, you guys. And God's inviting us to take ownership and run with it. I just want to encourage you. I'm going back to my other thing. A detour is over. But I just want to encourage you. We're going to be starting a few new house churches this fall. I want to encourage you. Find yourself there. Host the presence of the Lord with other believers and watch what happens. And let's watch our neighborhoods be transformed. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, the other thing that the Lord spoke to me about is that we, we are becoming people of extravagant love. Extravagant love. I love and I wholeheartedly agree with what's been, what Jesus has been doing in our culture of building and restoring first love. It's something that our prophetic community has stewarded very well, in my opinion. And I want to honor that. I want to honor there is something being birthed in us, in prayer. There's something being birthed in the prayer uh, watches that we've been having. There's something of a prophetic call on us as a church that's not like something I've been a part of before. And I believe it's absolutely from the Lord. And Jesus is saying, I want you to become extravagant lovers of me and extravagant lovers of my people. It's not an either or. It's a both and. So the main verse tonight we're going to be looking at is John 15, 1 through 13. I'm going to read it. And then the Lord wants to talk to us about it. So here we go. Jesus, uh, if you're new to the story of Jesus, which is awesome, by the way, if you are. Um, let me just catch up to where he's at. He has spent three and a half years with his disciples, mentoring, training, raising up the future leaders of the church to take his mantle because he's about to go away. And he's having some final talks with his disciples, and this is one of them right here. And he's instructing them in what's coming. He hasn't been arrested yet. He hasn't been tried yet. He hasn't been crucified. And most importantly, he hasn't risen from the dead. Aren't you glad he rose from the dead? That was a weak, that was a weak amen. You guys are, that's not how a thousand people sounds. Okay. So he rose from the dead. All right, here we go. I'm so glad he rose from the dead. Whew. So here he is, Jesus talking to his disciples. John 15, 1 through 13. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, 
and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the word of the Lord right there. Amen. Jesus is giving us some serious gold nuggets here. And I, I feel a little bit sad that we don't have two or three hours to dive into all that he's given us. But we don't. So there's a few things that I feel like uh, we're supposed to pull out of this. But I want to encourage you to go home and study this verse. It's amazing. First of all, first gold nugget is this. Jesus is a man. Say man. And he's sitting in a room of men. Say men. And he's talking about intimacy and love. Wow. Let's not miss that. Jesus, a man, spent three and a half years with other men. And he's sitting in a room and he's talking to these very men. And what he's talking about is intimacy and love. Wow. When's the last time you've been in a room full of men and men are talking about intimacy and love? Let's don't miss what's happening in this moment. Jesus is saying something. He's saying something very important for us. The second nugget that he gives us is this phrase, the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I started studying this phrase. It's a very interesting phrase. It goes like this. The vine was a very symbolic metaphor for Israel. Israel raised, had lots of vineyards, grapes production, wine production was a part of its ecosystem. It's part of its commerce. So this vine stood for something. It meant something. It represented Israel, the health of Israel, the vitality of Israel. When Israel was following God, this vine was a picture of life, productivity for Israel. But Jesus differentiates himself. He says, I am the true vine. And I love this. I love this nugget because what he's saying is, again, he's talking to a room full of Jewish men who know that the vine represents Israel. And Jesus is saying, guys, I'm the true vine, meaning I know you already have an association with Israel. I know you already identify with this greater collective called Israel, this, this culture as an Israelite. 
But what I'm saying is I'm the true vine. Meaning, I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. And it's got to be a bond with me. It's got to be a connection with me. It's not good enough, guys, for you to have a connection with a greater collective called Israel. That's not what's going to bear fruit in your life. It's me. He's saying, guys, no, no. I know you have that already. It's me. It's me. I'm the true vine. I'm the one that if you're bind to, bound to, you'll bear fruit. And I feel like that's such a significant word for us. Because the truth is, is a lot of us have these. We may, we may, we may think, you know, I go to, a, I go to a really rocking church, so I, I must be ready to bear fruit. I go to an amazing revival group, like of course I'm going to bear fruit. I come from a family. I'm a Christian. Of course I'm going to bear fruit. I went to a certain seminary. Of course I'm going to bear fruit. But Jesus is saying, actually, no. You want to bear fruit? It's me. Bind yourself to me. It's only me. It's only the people that bind themselves to the true vine that bear fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's great. All those other associations are great, but they won't produce fruit in the kingdom. Only bind yourself to me. That's what will bear fruit in the kingdom. And I think the Father wants to remind us of that tonight. Some of us can be standing on the association of friend groups or, or associations of other things, other people, but Jesus is saying, if you, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Those things are great, but it's me. Come find me. Come abide in me. Come remain in me as I remain in you. No branch bears fruit by itself. Right? You guys doing okay with that? I love this picture of the vine and the branch. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branch. And he says, if you're, if you're abiding in me, you'll bear much fruit. And that fruit will remain. And I love this because what he's saying is the branch is completely dependent on the vine. This is hard for us Americans. We like to be our own person. We like to be independent. We like to do our own thing. Our culture is swimming in independence. And Jesus is saying, actually, I need you to be dependent on me. If you're going to bear fruit and abide in me, I need you to be dependent on me. Codependence is just misplaced dependence. It's the right idea, just with the wrong person. Jesus is saying, be dependent on me. You won't bear fruit for the kingdom unless you're dependent on me. If you don't abide in me, it's not going to happen. 
And so God's inviting us this idea of complete dependence and constant connection. What an amazing thought that Jesus is about to go away, but he's saying, depend on me. And you can still have a constant connection with me. Wow, that's got to breathe so much encouragement to us 2,000 years later, where we never laid our hands on his body like they did. But he's saying, abide in me, remain in me. The love bond that we've cultivated over these last three and a years, half years, stay there. Don't move on. Don't graduate. There is no graduation. Stay there. I find that amazing. He's saying, be attached to me. Stay in my love. That's what produces fruit in the kingdom. I really love this part because verse 5, it says this. If a man remains in me and I in him. And really what that says is it's a two-way relationship. Some of us want to think it's a one-way relationship. It's actually not. God's not going to come down and do my part for him. Just like I can't ask my wife to do her part to be married. My part to be married. I got to do my part. All relationships have two people working together. And Jesus is saying in verse 5, If a man remains in me and I in him. Yeah, if a man remains in me and I in him. It's a two-way relationship. In this connection, if we abide in him, in him and us, this waterfall experience starts to happen. Jesus said it like this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he continues and says, as I have loved you, now you go love each other. And so this waterfall of the Father cultivating an abiding relationship with the Son, and then the Son cultivating an abiding relationship with his disciples. And then now Jesus turns to his disciples and says, now it's your turn. Go and cultivate this same thing with each other. That's crazy that we could be part of the same waterfall of love where he says, if you attach to me, what's in me will flow into you. And now you'll be able to do what I've been doing with you. You'll be able to love each other the way I've loved you. Crazy. I'll bet there was a lot of deer in the headlight look on those faces. We can love each other the way you've called us, the way you've loved us. Whoa, how is that possible? Abiding, abiding is what makes it possible. It's the only way it makes it possible. And this is why first love is so important. Because if something else is in the first love spot, 
in you or me, the waterfall starts to dry up. This is why the prophetic call on this church that's been echoing for the last year of you are a Levite. You are to minister to the heart of God first. This is why this is so critical. Is because as humans, we get this all goofed up. We put something else or someone else in the first love spot. And what happens is the waterfall dries up. The waterfall that's supposed to be from a father to a son, from a son to a disciple, from a disciple to other disciples, like Jesus is describing, the color starts to look off when we put somebody else in the first love spot. That's what Jesus is saying. First, love me. First, minister to my heart. And through the abiding connection with me, you watch what flows into your life. It'll actually manifest in love for each other down the line. It won't start there. But follow the waterfall long enough, it'll end up there. You'll have supernatural love for each other, which we will not have if we don't abide. I love my wife. I'm crazy about that lady sometimes. I'm serious. But as much as I love her, if I put her in that first spot, I start to compromise my love. I love my kids. I got some of the best kids. I love those guys. They're all old and do their own thing now. <laughs> Young adults now. But if I put them in the first love spot, it's not going to be good. You know what's going to be lost? Fruit. Fruit of the kingdom will be lost. We put anything else but Jesus in the first love spot. We lose the fruit. And the crazy thing is the fruit is for other people. Fruit's not for me. If I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me and fruit starts to grow on this tree, people come along and eat the fruit. And this is why first love's so important. Is if we lose the fruit, what are the kids going to eat? What is my wife going to partake of? Someone else's fruit? The fruit's not for me. It's for them. It's for you. It's for other people. If I abide in him and he's abiding in me and Jesus somehow produces fruit in my life, now my family can be fed with the goodness of the Lord. My marriage can be ministered to because there's godly character and joy. There's patience at home. Come on. 
there's good stuff to eat because the king is growing fruit on this guy who just decided to stay connected to Jesus. Decided to keep Jesus as first thing in my life. And Jesus is building fruit that other people get to come along and eat. And this, this is what builds healthy families. Is when mom and dad decide to keep first things first. I remember I worked with a couple one time and it became really obvious. This guy's number one thing in his life was work. I mean, if you want to know what your number one thing, your first love is, see what everything else in your life moves around from. I'm sitting there with this couple. They're paying me a lot of money to help them. I said, listen, let's talk about first love. Let's talk about what, what you love the most. Well, I love the Lord. That's awesome. I'm really glad to hear that. And I love my wife. That's awesome. And I love my kids. That's, I like you. You're, you and I, we're the same kind of guy. We li- we're, I'm, I get you. But your kids are mad at you. They're hurt by you. Because they never see you. When they see you, you're frustrated. You're upset. You're angry. You're prickly. Your wife's the one drug you in my office. She's not happy either. So what really is the first thing in your life? Because if I'm honest, I'm not seeing it. I'm wondering if work is the most important thing in your life. Ouch. Ouch. What's our first love? Our first love is so important because it sets the bar for all the other loves. And when Jesus is our first love, when we decide to stay yoked to him, all the other loves work out. That's what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 6, 33, he said, seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness, living rightly with him. Which means other affections have to go. Other affections that will try to occupy first place in our life have to go away. I would say the enemy, one of the enemy's main assaults on us is trying to get something else into first place. It's, it, it's, it's the same scheme over and over and over again. How do we get something else in first place? Because the enemy wants to dry up that waterfall. He wants to dry up the fruit. He wants to dry up the family. He wants to get our kids eating other people's fruit, the enemy's fruit. They're going to get fruit from somewhere. I love this part right here. It says, so love one another. As I have loved you, so love one another. Wow. 
What a qualifier. <laughs> Do you hear the qualifier in there? As I have loved you, love one another. It's kind of like a mic drop moment for Jesus. I would just say it's impossible. It's impossible to love each other the way Jesus loved us if we don't abide in him. This is a guy who washed really stinky feet. I don't like body smells. I don't like stinky feet. I would never do that. I, I mean, I, I can't even fathom that. And yet Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you and my love and fruit starts to happen pretty soon, I want to serve people. I want to serve them and love them. I remember one time I got so blasted by the love of God that it was like, it was like everybody I saw, I just wanted to love. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it was like, whoa. And I, would, I just want to say, like, we are called to love one another deeply. We are going to be a church marked by love. But it will not happen without people like you and me deciding to abide in him. To keep him in first place. To allow over time the Holy Spirit to grow fruit in my life. That will feed the people closest to me. It will not happen. We will not be a church marked by love. The only way we are is by people like you and I deciding, nope, I'm going to keep Jesus first place. And the manifestation over time will be, I will have access to supernatural love. I'll be able to wash people's stinky feet. Because Jesus did, and he told me, as I loved you, so you love one another. You guys are getting quiet on me. So let's let the church be what she's called to be. A place of radical love. A place of lovers. Where we love God passionately. In word and in action. By how we love each other. Amen. Almost done here. Coming down the home stretch. Everybody doing okay? I also want to say this. Jesus, not Jesus, <laughs> sorry. Abiding in Jesus looks different in different seasons of life. I want to use a quick metaphor um, with marriage. Marriage looks different depending on what season of marriage you're in. All the married people say yes. Yeah, that's true. You know, when you're first married, you, there's... There's no little people around. Hope, well, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes there are. Um, but it's just you. And so, like, this dance of, like, intimacy and love is, like, 
it's, it's, it's us. We get to take trips together. We get to go do the, you know, we get to go do whatever we want. We don't have anybody else to take responsibility for except us. And we're both adults. This is amazing, right? And this is how it is sometimes when we're with Jesus. Like our life with Jesus in abiding can be very much like that. There's not much else going on. It's awesome. If you're in that season, I'm so happy for you. But what happens is, is when intimacy usually is followed by community. (laughs) Get enough intimacy going, other people start to show up. That's how it works. That's how it works in the kingdom too, by the way. You start to grow fruit, people like to eat fruit. They start showing up. Pretty soon you're doing a house church. Where did all these people come from? I don't know. I just started having intimacy with Jesus. Some fruit showed up and now people are eating the fruit. Same thing happens in marriage. Where did all these kids come from? <laughs> I know where they came from. I remember one time I was, we were going to Mexico and we had just had uh, our fourth child. And I, I had, I kid you not, I had suitcases on both hands running through LAX. I had a kid on my back. I had a backpack on the front. I'm pulling uh, strollers and playpens and all this stuff. And I was like, what is going on around here? I remember I got to our hotel room and I wanted to collapse. I felt like I just climbed Mount Rainier. Like I was exhausted. And it was like, whoa, the needs of our community have grown. It used to be just you and I flirting with each other all the way to Mexico. And now I haven't even seen you in like six hours. The needs of our community had changed dramatically. And this is what happens. And so... In that moment, I remember another night we were, Tish and I were having talks on the bed with kids. We have this thing in our house where when a kid's having an issue, they come in and talk to mom and dad on the bed. So mom and dad are sitting there and kid one plops on the bed and we're talking about sports and challenges and all the stuff going on in this kid's life. Important stuff. And then we say, okay, listen, uh, we love you. Good job. Uh, can you go find your sister and bring them in, please? And then we'll... So then sister comes in and plops on the bed and it's 45 minutes of important stuff and processing and pray for me because I'm the only uh, introvert in my whole family. So there's a lot of talking during these moments. And then it's like, hey, good job. You got it. Go tell your brother uh, that he's up next. And so this, you know, two hours, two, two and a half hours, easy. All the kids go away. Tish and I look at each other like, I love you. I love you too. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted too. Let's go to sleep. Like the needs of our community have grown so much. It isn't what it used to look like. But Jesus is still smiling. Jesus isn't over there saying, 
Hey, how come you're not spending all this time with me? He's over there going, good job, mom and dad. Good job. Nobody else is going to have those conversations with them but you guys. And so I just want us to keep in our awareness. As we're abiding with Jesus, there are seasons we go through where it's going to look and feel a little different. And that's okay. Doesn't mean Jesus is upset with us. He's over there going, good job. But listen, here's the important piece. We can't lose abiding. We can't lose the abiding. Just like a husband and wife cannot lose their connection during season of raising kids, don't lose your connection, mom and dad. It's really hard to get it back. Keep the fire going. Keep the intimacy going, even during seasons of great needs from the community. Amen? All right. I just felt like, again, it's Father's Day. I felt like the Father just wanted to talk to us tonight. The importance of abiding. Jesus says, if you abide in me, the true vine, I'll produce fruit. You'll be a branch that'll produce much fruit for me. And all the way down to that manifesting into extravagant love for each other. But remember, we've got to keep Jesus first place. The waterfall starts to become a trickle when something else sneaks in and becomes first place. Amen? I just felt like the Lord wanted to invite us into a time of, of just re-upping for abiding in him. And so I'm just going to open the altars. The worship team wants to come up. That's great. I'd love for that. This to just to be a safe space for anybody who wants to re-up for abiding in him. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe it's your first time ever hearing about abiding in him. That's okay. I know for me, I've had two weeks to chew on this, so I'm, I'm feeling good. But it's convicted me how fast we can get off track and let something else rob us of abiding in him. The simplicity of being a branch attached and fused to who he is. Remaining in his love. So I just want to invite you to stand. I'll close in prayer. And we'll open the ministry altars for anybody who just wants to recultivate first love. Who wants to come and just recommit to abiding in him. Abiding in Jesus, the lover of our souls. So Jesus, we just thank you this Father's Day. And we just ask you to come and father us tonight. Lord, we just declare we want to abide in you, Lord. We want to bear much fruit for you, for, for your Father's, the Father's glory, God. And we just ask you, Lord, come. Come and minister to any and all hearts tonight that need it, Lord. We thank you tonight. We honor you on Father's Day. We thank you for fathering us. And we love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you all. We'll see you next week. Come up for prayer and ministry if you want to.